Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. could join us today and our guest is author Allison Mackey. She is a fantasy um, children's author and her official author signature is A.S. Mackey, M-A-C-K-E-Y. I'm going to read just a little bio about her and we will welcome her to the show. So A.S. Mackey's um, debut book was a stenopad full of poems given to her parents. That's how we all start. Um, as a gift when she was eight. She wrote her first sci-fi novel at age 15, which she says was horrid, which it probably wasn't. Um, but she honed her writing skills and earned a degree in English literature from the University of Georgia. Allison and her husband make their home in Florence, Alabama. Welcome to the show, Allison. So glad Thank to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Linda. <laughs> so, um, I like to ask, the first thing I always like to ask is, how did you get started in this crazy writing world? I know we all have our, our steno pads, um, our notebooks filled with poetry, et cetera, <laughs> or, or our diaries, but, um, but how did you officially get into the business? Well, I decided somewhere around, I guess, 2011 that I just wanted to pursue it. Um, I was working on a corporate job, which really didn't give me any creative outlet. And that was the first year I had heard of NaNoWriMo. NaNoWriMo, for those yes. listeners who are not familiar with it, is National Novel Writing Month. And it's simply an online initiative to, hey, let's all get together and write 50,000 words in the month. <laughs> and it yeah. just, it gave me the impetus I need. Okay, I'm going to do this because I wrote a mystery novel, like a cozy mystery one year and then an inspirational one year. And it gave me just time to exercise those writing muscles. Um, my sister and yeah. I had always tried to write some things together over the years, but we just never really got serious about it. So in 2015, I participated in NaNoWriMo again, and I wrote this children's book, and it just... I don't know. There was something about it that was different and it stood out and I had a passion for it. So I decided to hone my skills. I, I got books on the craft of writing to get better and I rewrote it and I rewrote it and pursued publication the old fashioned way uh, by getting a copy of the writer's market and finding an agent. Yeah. 
And so I landed an agent in 2017, and she um, edited it, of course, and then shopped it, and then um, signed a contract with LifeWide just after. That's awesome. <laughs> so all oh, yes, together, I cried. how long did it take? <laughs> how long? Oh, yes, everybody remembers that moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but how long, how many years did it take? If you, Let's see. I mean, when you when you really started going after it. Okay. So the, um, I wrote the first draft in November of 2015 and I thought I need to make this really, really good. So with two years of hard editing, I read Stephen King's book on writing and completely Mm -hmm. redrafted it after that changed point of view completely. It was third person. I changed it to first person omniscient. Um, just listened to all the advice that I was given by, by the people who know. Um, and so it took until um, about October of 2017 is when I landed my agent with that book. I had, I started querying the summer of 2016 and it wasn't ready. I got 43 rejections and then continued to rewrite, did a bunch more queries. So from first draft to an agent was two years and then, from that, from landing the agent to signing the contract was about 18 months. So total from first draft to going out onto the bookstore shelves, it's going to be about four and a half years. See, and, and that's good because the average time it takes is about 12 to 14 years for most writers. I, yes, <laughs> and, I, and I kept running into that information saying, if you're patient, and you let the system work, it, you know, it's a slow process. It's just that's the way it is. And if you keep at it, then it'll happen. So I just kept reminding myself, well, <laughs> you know, certain, <laughs> even the help got 61 rejections and it went on to be a bestseller and made into a movie. And those sorts of examples inspired right. me to keep going. Well, and of course now, I mean, the world has turned upside down. So who knows what the the protocol is now you know um but um so um what about your writing techniques do you typically write a certain amount of words um per day do you have a special place you like to write and what inspires you daily um as far as a regular writing habit when i'm doing NaNoWriMo i approach it with an outline. I'm not one of those pantsers. I've got to have an outline. I want to know, you know, (laughs) beginning, middle, and end roughly, you know, where I'm going. So I'll do several months of research before I sit down and say, okay, I'm writing chapter one. And so NaNoWriMo does help keep me on track because I can see that 40, 50,000 word goal at the end. So I I know I need 1700 words a day. So that's what I try to do in November. After that, it's kind of a free-for-all. It depends on, uh, you know, uh, life does get in the way. I I know lots of people say write every day, and I wish I could say that I do, but I don't Mm. write every day. I try. Um, When I first started, I was working full-time, so I got up at 5 or 5.30 and wrote for a couple of hours before work because that was the only time I could. Um. And then that, for that's hard. a couple of years there, yes. It, but you know, for me personally, I'm more inspired in the morning. I'm I'm an early bird anyway. I wake up naturally between five and six without my alarm. So it uh, 
for me, it worked. Now, I married a night owl, so my husband thinks that's torture. That's again. <laughs> you know, he's going to bed at midnight, and I'm getting up at 5 or 5.30. Uh, but for me, it, it really works. And everybody's circadian rhythms are different. Everybody's um, creativity is higher at different times during the day. So the 5 a.m. Right. thing may not work for everybody. But learn yourself when you're most creative, when do you have those spurts of intuition, um, and work with those. You know, some people do get really creative, you know, right after dinner or whatever. Um, so for me, it's early morning. Um, I do have to have no distractions. If someone comes in and talks to me, I, I can't hear what they're saying. I, I'm so no. focused on the writing. I so. Yeah, I'm like that too. I, I don't want music yeah, and or I, any distractions. Oh, yeah, I don't turn on music, um, anything like that. And I get, I try to be kind and gracious, but I kind of get annoyed if I'm in the middle of something and someone starts talking to me. So I do quite, try to close my door in my office. Um, and so for editing, you know, it's a little bit different when I had a deadline. Um, like, okay, we need these edits by such and such a date. Um in a way that made it easier. I thought, okay, you know, I'm not just slogging around going, okay, ho-hum, when I'm done, I'll send this over to somebody to possibly get a contract. No, the deadlines right. are really motivating. <laughs> so, because yes. uh, when you, you know, first submit the book, there's always going to be edits. Um, and so I wanted to be on top of them as quickly as possible. So, um, so but yeah, you I do sometimes office. set aside a whole day. I'm like, today's a writing day, and I'm just gonna <laughs> not do laundry. I'm, you know, husband will cook dinner, and I'm just gonna shut the door and write. Which is perfect. It's lovely. So you write. You mentioned an office. So you write in your office primarily. I do. I have. Um, I am blessed with a library in my office. We uh, before um, I, we lived in a in a little farmhouse. And um, no kidding, our, our internet down, went down so often, I would often go to the library in this little <laughs> town and write there. Because I like to have a, the internet open for research or for the thesaurus, right. you know, that I, I use it on. Mm-hmm. So much of this uh, debut novel was written at the local library up in Collinwood, Tennessee. <laughs> or, you know. Um, but we just I saw that in your house. acknowledgments. <laughs> yes, they were so, yeah, they were great. They had... They had internet, and I could go in there whenever I needed to use yeah. it. Um, <laughs> so now I have an office with, you know, a landline, or not a landline, but an Ethernet hardwired connection, so mm-hmm. I can close the door. And it is actually a library. We bought a historic home in downtown Florence uh, a little nice. more than a year ago. And I almost cried when I walked into this room and saw that it was a library. Oh. And it's, you know, nine-foot ceilings and lots of windows. And um, so I'm really spoiled to be able to write in the library, <laughs> my own library. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so, so how has the quarantine affected your writing, or has it? Well, it for me, I'm actually now. My husband was furloughed without pay for 60 days, and uh, I, prior yeah. to the quarantine, he was working. You know a 50-hour-a-week job, but we were both working from home. I was working part-time. I was working three days a week for an insurance broker. So when he was furloughed, you know, we have a mortgage to pay. So I said, okay, I'll go back to work full-time. So now I'm sitting at my desk working in insurance and doing lots of math from 8 to 5. 
So um, I'm very grateful for my job, but um, yes. <laughs> it hasn't given me a whole lot of opportunity to write. I I have a few times I've gotten up early and got some writing done, um, and uh, there's always something ruminating in my head, even if I'm not always maybe getting it down on paper, there are characters that are percolating in my brain or, you know, and yes. I'll jot something down. Oh, somebody said something. So it's, I'm not completely divested from it. It's just a different schedule right now. Um, Some of the so. greatest writers um, found that working, working at a job, you know, just kind of stimulated their creativity for later. So I, I think. Yes. I and it. my job is very <laughs> math heavy. It's very math heavy, mm-hmm. so I don't get that creative outlet. And so, as soon as I'm ready, I'm kind of like chomping at the bit to, to get out <laughs> those creative words. <laughs> well, um, I would like to read the back cover of your book, and then we can talk about it. Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. Tragedy is sometimes followed by mystery. At least that's what faces 13-year-old Piper and her autistic brother Phoenix, mourning the loss of their parents. They must move a thousand miles away to live with their insufferable Aunt Beryl. But it is in their aunt's cavernous library that Piper and Phoenix hear a mysterious book calling to them. Its name is Novus Fabula, and its story will change their lives forever. Okay, I'm just, and the name of the book is The Edge of Everyone. Yes. Okay. Now, um, when you when you wrote this book, did you have real life inspiration for these characters, or you know maybe your own library? <laughs> it was kind of a fantasy <laughs> library. <laughs> well, I I wish I could have had the library that Piper has. Um, so no, I I was raised in a home where we had lots of educators, and my grandmother was an English teacher. We were reading, you know, from very, very young ages, but we did not have a library. We went to public libraries constantly, and so I did devour books. And it's sort of the the library we all wish we had, (laughs) you know, that magic library that we hope we stumble on. And um, I've always loved the beauty of antique books. Um, they just have a smell and a feel. You know, there's a visceral response when you pick up one of those books. So the library in the story is definitely just out of my own imagination. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, though. Um, and what about what about the children? Um, like the autism, have you, did you know anybody? I mean, does any of the book, um, you know, come from inspiration in real life or real life circumstances? Because I find I that most writers say, do. Um, yeah, the the children um, are completely fictitious. My great nephew is autistic. He's on the spectrum. Um, he is a nonverbal. Um, but when I wrote the book, he was only two. He's five now, or six now. Uh, I've lost track of his age. He so is you wrote him a hero. Nonverbal. <laughs> and and so and yeah. my my nephew actually even looks like my character. But I had friends that had children on the spectrum. Um, mm-hmm. And when I was in, I think, elementary school or middle school, my mother taught special needs children in a school. And so I had a little bit of experience with children with autism. So um, the characters are 
primarily fictitious, but I do have friends, like I said, that had children on the spectrum. So I had lengthy conversations with them about the character development for Phoenix to make sure he was treated honestly, clearly, fairly, you know, as um, normally as possible, you know. And so I got great feedback from um, this one friend of mine. Hi, Talitha, if you're listening. Uh, She spent a really long time on the phone with me about character development for Phoenix, and um, she loved him. She loved the way I portrayed him. And um, so, and it's my, someone pointed out to me, uh, my children are, I have three children, and the younger two could be the two kids on the front cover. Um, my second <laughs> child was a, was a daughter with long blonde hair, and she was just about two years older than her younger brother who had short, dark hair. And someone saw them and said, hey, that's Sarah and Jonathan. I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Well, that's perfect. And then, you know, and then you do have a hero for autistic children out there, and there are so many, you know, so I think that's wonderful. Um, So tell us about the title, The Edge of Everyone. How did you come up with that? I had originally titled the book something so much more boring. It was called Uncle Lonnie's Bookshop when I first drafted it. And Mm -hmm. as a debut author, you know, the reality is every buyer judges a book by its cover, the cover and the title. That really yes. is what primarily kids are going to pick it if the title sounds cool or if the cover is cool. So I knew that I had to have an interesting title. So I ditched the Uncle Lonnie's bookshop just because it was boring. And in the development of the story about, you know, halfway through the character of Mr. Green is reading his book called The Edge of Everyone or Life on the Edge of Everyone. And I thought, okay, that's where my title, it, I just kind of came out mm-hmm. of the book. I was researching the spiritual aspect of the timelessness of God, trying to get that scene worked out and came across the term everyone. Just learn, I can't even remember specifically. It's, it's a spiritual view of God, the timelessness of God, that God is outside of time. That's good. And it stuck with me. It just really stuck with me. And I thought, okay, that's going to make it. It's in the genre I want. It's sort of a fantasy thing. Um, and so that it just came out of research, but also practically thinking, I need a really catchy title. <laughs> well, I, for one, am glad you named named it The Edge of Everyone, because that's an intriguing title, you know. Um, yes. Much better. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Um, so, so the idea for this, did you, did you have a sudden inspiration or were you just sort of writing and it sort of came to you as you started writing? Well, the inspiration for this particular story was actually very specific. I was on the internet, uh, early in 2015 and was on social media and I came across a post where someone said, oh, wouldn't it be neat if if someone could um, write the book everybody needs to hear? And someone had written the phrase, the book of requirements. And if you're a Harry Potter fan, the um, references to Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, there is a room called the Room of Requirements. And it is a magic room that appears only when the student 
has need of it. And someone said the book of requirement. I thought, oh, man, i got to write this book. <laughs> and so for me, a book of requirement tells the reader the story they need to hear. And as a believer, that story is going to come from God. It's going to be the story God is telling about us and about who we're meant to be. And so that was the seed for this book. Now, you're, the edge of everyone um, kind of begins with um, a, a tragedy that sets the characters out on the journey. Um, so was that difficult to write? Um, I would say it was difficult. I don't have tragedy in my, in my, uh, family life like these poor children do. Um, I was at a, an author's, um, panel at the Nashville Public Library earlier this year and the hostess said, so many dead parents because it's just kind of a common tragedy thing. But I think oh, I like every on. Disney movie, every yeah, Disney movie, so, yeah, usually exactly. the mother. Oh, the poor orphan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, if you think about one of the most significant tragedies a child would undergo is the loss of a parent. That would be probably yeah. one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing. Um, so I, I don't have that experience in my life. Um, but I did just really try to imagine what it would be like and what it would feel like and um, so it's not it's not my own personal experience, but um, hopefully I captured yeah. the feeling of what what it would feel. There's always an impetus that sets the character off on the hero's journey, you know, what yeah. that is, mm-hmm. and, and it's effective. It's effective. So, um, so how have people received the book? I mean, have they been excited about it? Has um, I mean. Have you talked to kids who've, you know, I mean, really, it's it's like a young adult, right? More, well, I mean, it's technically middle grade. Um, it is technically okay. middle grade for two reasons. One, the ages of the children, you know, 13 and then I think to 10. And kids read up. So it really was geared towards the 11 or 12-year-old book nerd who reads a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And and then the, the subject matter you know, you don't get into romance and you don't get into any of the darker, more fearful things that may edge it into the young adult reading audience. Um, I used beta readers who were nine and 10 years old. When I very first wrote it, I had lots of friends with families. And so I knew who of them were actually readers. You know, I wanted someone like my target demographic to read the book. And so there are, I think, nine, I've listed all their names in the in the credits in the back, young girls who were like, yeah, I'll help out a new author. They were, they were <laughs> excited to help me out, and they loved it. Um, of course, my parents loved it, but, you know, they're my parents. They're not objective. <laughs> I know. Um, you, you can't really ask yes. for family. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But I also joined some Facebook writing groups where I could get objective opinions. I said, hey, you read my manuscript. I'll read yours. So it didn't cost us anything to have someone, yeah. you know, trade manuscripts and received incredible feedback from all of them. Um, everyone awesome. I've read, you know, talked to so far they're you know, they love it. And um, so it's been, it's been great so far. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'll be someone who doesn't like it. And my thought is, well, it wasn't written for you. <laughs> well, there's, um, I mean, 
there are kind of some mean people who go on Amazon sometimes and they'll like one time I got one star for one of my books and then underneath it said, I didn't read the book. (laughs) 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 Just give me one star. Okay. Or I ordered a book, but I got the wrong product. So she gave me one star. that's yes, not my fault. I wish <laughs> exactly. I wish Amazon would differentiate between packaging errors and product yeah. quality errors. But yeah. and I read something somewhere that the reviews are not for the author; they're for other readers, and so we shouldn't be reading them. And you know, um, there's a lot of truth to that. I have been reading the Goodread reviews. Amazon, of course, does not permit reviews to be posted until the book is published. But Goodreads right. does allow it, so all of the early readers are starting to post reviews. And I'm so thankful they post reviews because they're thoughtful and um, yes. you know, they explain different things. But <clears throat> there, I'm sure that there will come a time when I'm going to stop reading the reviews because <laughs> I'm not going to change the book <laughs> based on a oh, review. No. But it's, you you know, know, sometimes it makes your day and sometimes it's just good for laugh you know (laughs) I know exactly I I heard a story from another author that said they were contacted directly and demanded money um and that if they didn't pay said money they were going to put a one-star review on the person's (laughs) book so of course the person didn't pay the money and you know uh that's just sad so um wow is what it is and and I don't control that so um, no (laughs) um so where can people buy your book? They can probably, I'm assuming, all the places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, yes. um, everywhere. So depending on when this show airs, through May 10th, Lifeway is running a 50% off special. So it's only $7.49 right now on Lifeway. Um, Wonderful. But yes, other than that, you know, Amazon has it. And once the world opens back up, anywhere books are sold, <laughs> you know, we yes. were scheduled to have a big launch at Books a Million here in Florence, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's not happening, and I'm kind of sad about that, but yeah. you know, I understand. I get it. Uh, but, yeah, it's anywhere books are sold. And um, But right now, you know, if you can are listening to this prior to May 10th, Lifeway is your best bet. Okay, that's awesome. Now, now, what is your next big writing adventure after this? Have you already thought about that or are working on something? Oh, yes. I'm always writing something. My hope is that this is the first of a trilogy. Uh, Lifeway just um, purchased book one, and so I'm hoping that this will be a runaway success, and they will say, yes, we want to do book two and three. (laughs) So book two is in the editing stages. It's probably 70% written, and then it needs to do the hard editing. And then book three is in the plotting phase. But I'm also working on some other, a couple of uh, YA. One is a an alt-medieval allegory, and um, then I've got a, a, some characters that that some people, you hear their name, and you think, they just need a book written about them because their name is so cool, <laughs> and yes. so my, my son's girlfriend has a cousin, his name is Augustus Blue, and that's his given name, and I thought, that's you know what, name. you just need a book written about you, <laughs> he's about 10, I think, <laughs> so, and he has a sidekick, so they're kind of you know, ruminating in my thoughts right now. I'm not sure what their adventures would be, but those are things that I've got um, kind of in the back burner right now. Do you um, 
do you have an affinity for your characters? Because for me, it's almost like you know them, you know, and I know it sounds borderline. Yes. Crazy. Yes, <laughs> it does. No, it does. They, it's funny because this one character, um, I mean, it's like the characters introduce themselves to you. You know, you, I, yeah. I see my book in video vision as I'm writing it. I'm not sure that all writers do that, but I see it in yeah. my head. And mm-hmm. um, so Morgan Freeman just needs to know that he is my Mr. Green, so he needs to just get on that and have it made into a movie. <laughs> And oh. Helen Mirren is my Aunt Beryl. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Um, you and know, Mark Ruffalo is my Gordon. <laughs> we're running out of time, and I wanted to ask you one more thing. I know you, you have another um, interview coming up, and I know that we can't do book signings right now, you know, because with all this um, pandemic stuff. Um, but do you do you have any um, any Zoom events or anything like that set up for future I think or... that we will yeah my I'm waiting for the publisher to tell me how to get that facilitated my hope is yes the official launch date is May 12th so okay. um my and my Facebook my Facebook author site perhaps I'll have a live event I'm not really sure it's still kind of in the in the planning stages at this moment but my hope is Ooh. to say yes. well amen it's been such a pleasure talking with you Allison and I hope you Listeners, you all go out and buy your book, The Edge of Everyone. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Thanks, I'm a long writer. It's been Bye-bye. a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.